Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6 as we continue to look at what it means to live a spirit-filled life. If you've been with us the last few weeks, we have defined a spirit-filled life in two key realities. A spirit-filled life is a life that's submitted to the Word of God so that all that he is in us will flow through us. We've used this to be kind of the image to help us understand. When we trust in Jesus, the scripture tells us that God promises us that he's going to pour his spirit into our hearts so that God himself, in the person of the Holy Spirit, dwells in us. This is a promise. But this is not the spirit-filled life because this is a promise And to live a spirit-filled life is a command. It's something that we must obey. And so the command, being filled with the spirit, is when we choose to stay under God's word so that all that he is ends up flowing through us and upon others. And so he says, the scripture says, be spirit-filled in your marriage so that if you're married, The presence of God in you flows through you to your spouse. And then he talks about children being spirit-filled. And then parents being spirit-filled. So that in our parenting, all that God is flows through us. Now, moving from the marriage to the home to the workplace. We're going to look at what's it mean for who God is to flow through you on to others in your work. We are looking at Ephesians 6, 5 through 8, a spirit-filled employee. And I hope that you will listen and engage this morning with the recognition that most of your waking hours in your life you spend on your job, whatever you do, whether you get paid for it or not. You spend most of your working hours, waking hours, working. And so we talk a lot about spirit-filled life as we think about at church, but that's a couple hours a week. Think about 40, 50, 60 hours of your week as you work and think about what it would mean to live a life where the Spirit of God that not only dwells in you, but would overflow upon your coworkers and your boss. Just think about that if every person who's listening right now determined God is promised his spirit lives in me, I'm going to seek to live a spirit-filled life at work tomorrow. Wouldn't that be amazing? Really, if, if everyone went to work with the goal of, I want the life of God in me to flow, not just to my coworkers, but to my boss. I'm just not keeping it to myself See, sometimes in our Christian thinking, it's like I need to separate myself from the world and and you live this isolated life. And a spirit-filled life is not an isolated life. A spirit-filled life is a life where all that God is in you is experienced through you. And, And that would radically transform. Imagine a teacher flowing the life of God upon their students. That would change classrooms, right? Think about you going wherever you, and the life of God. See, I don't want this to become uh, just a, okay, there's another message. It, this, is, this is what God has left us on the planet for. Not to stay, Jesus literally prayed this for you. Father, don't take them out of the world. That's what he prayed. Don't take them out of the world. Sanctify them the truth and send them as you sent me. So it is the life of God in us that is intending to be flowing through us in a manner that students, coworkers, bosses are blessed. So with hopefully a desire in your heart to be 
spirit-filled at work. Whatever you do tomorrow. Let's look at the text. Ephesians 6, verse 5. Slaves. You may be like, what? (laughs) Slaves? I'm not a slave. We'll see what it means when it says slaves. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. Not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from where? From the Lord, whether slave or free. So we'll look next week at verse 9 when it looks at the boss side, the master side. But this morning, the slave side. First of all, we need to answer a pretty important question. I think many people who don't understand the text are very put off, and rightly so, with this question. Why doesn't the Bible condemn slavery? It says slaves, and then you would think slaves set them free, but that's not what it says. So why doesn't the Bible condemn slavery? You ever ask yourself that? I can honestly say, for growing up in the church, I actually never thought about it. Shame on me, never thought about it. Why doesn't the, why doesn't the Bible go, Stop slavery. Why doesn't it? Well, it does. The Bible does condemn slavery. Now here's, but it says slaves. Here, here, listen, please. The Bible does condemn slavery as we think of slavery. You see, when, when it says slaves here, what we're going to see is it's different than when you think of Slaves, Because generally when we think of slaves, we think of this. We think of people who take a person against their will, keep that person against their will, and require them to act against their will. When we think slaves, we think of colonial America where there were people literally kidnapped from another continent, brought here against their will, kept against their will, and required to work against their will. That's what we think of slavery. And the Bible without hesitation, condemns that. Maybe you didn't know, but the scripture says, he who kidnaps a man, whether he sells him or he is found in his possession, shall surely be put to death. That's pretty strong. And really, what's being described there? A slave trader, as we think of it, and a slave owner, as we think of it. Because slaves, as we think about it, are people who have been kidnapped, kept, and forced. And so the scripture speaks very strongly against that. We think of a, a way a person is treated. But you know, the Bible says, Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness. <laughs> That's not what we think. We, we think at the heart of slavery is a lack of justice and a lack of fairness, right? And the scripture says, well, you don't treat people without justice and fairness. Give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven. And there is no partiality with him. Uh, in other words, we have a master in heaven and and there's no partiality with him. There is no place in our world as followers of Jesus to support or to allow a partiality. You see, as we think of slavery, the scripture very clearly speaks against. So, why does it say slaves? Because at that time, this text is addressing 
slaves who you and I would think much more as servants, and it was not for racial reasons, it was for economic reasons. Not the economic reason of the master, but the economic reason of the servant. When we think slavery, and we think the Bible should condemn it, uh, we think of a racial divide that is filled with partiality and no justice and all threatening and no fairness, right? The Bible condemns that, clearly. What was happening in the time that Paul is writing this is in Rome, nearly half of Roman, listen, Roman citizens, nearly half of them were what this text calls slaves. They were servants, economic reasons. It would have been the very unusual case that a slave in this context could not work their way or buy their way through their work freedom from freedom. I think maybe the most easily understood parallel to our present day that would have been going on then is if someone attends one of our military academies, they are then slaves for X number of years, right? Now, would you think of that as slavery? Well, some of you go, yeah, I was, that, was, that was like slavery. But they own you, kind of, right? Yeah. That based on race? Well, it's economic agreement. We do this for you, you do this for us for this number of years, and then you can buy your freedom. That's, that's primarily what we're talking about here. What, what we have in our head is dramatically different than what the text is addressing. This might make sense to you as well. When you think of slavery as existed to the great stain of our country that existed in America, there would not have been a corporate worship service of masters and slaves, right? But what's happening here? Paul is literally writing a congregation that is made up of masters and slaves. So, if you've ever wrestled with, I don't understand why the New Testament gives instructions how to keep, how to treat slaves, and you have slavery as it existed in our country, in mine, completely two different animals. This is an economic issue, and it was very common that nearly half of Roman citizens would be slaves, but not as we think of slaves. So, I hope that helps you if you're ever asked, why doesn't the Bible condemn slavery? So, with that mindset of now, uh, does your company own you? <laughs> See, you're kind of like, ah. <laughs> kind of signed a contract. Some of your teachers, you signed a contract. You see what I'm saying? So there's a commitment there. This is why, in our understanding, I'm calling this spirit-filled employee, even though it says slave. So let's look at it again with now an understanding that's very uh, parallel to the lives that we live. Slaves, us, be obedient to those who are your, your masters according to the flesh. How many of you have an earthly boss? I do. Yeah. All right. Be obedient to them. With fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. Not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men. The repeated three times theme here is to understand that when we live as spirit-filled employees, we go to work understanding, though we have 
a human boss we serve with the mind and the heart God is my boss that would really change that would dramatically change if if whatever you do you went to work tomorrow or you stayed at home tomorrow doing your work and you went I'm ultimately accountable to the Lord. Does that mean you're not accountable to your human boss? No, it's not. It means that you have an accountability beyond your human boss. You have an accountability that you're going to work as to the Lord. And the text says that you can do that whatever your job. See, One of the things that I feel the need to continually to blow up in our thinking is that I serve the Lord as a pastor and you don't serve the Lord at whatever you do. We need to stop thinking that way. Whatever you do, you are to serve the Lord as much as what I do serves the Lord. See, I can do this in a manner that doesn't please the Lord. It happens all the time, I hate to say. Hopefully not in my life. (laughs) But it happens all the time that people do spiritual things, but it's not for the Lord. You can go to work and please the Lord and serve the Lord with the clear idea, God's my boss as much as I can. It's whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Whatever you do. Whatever you do. I, I want to encourage you. Get up tomorrow. Go where you go, whether it's to get in your car or go to work or go into another room or, or to sit at your table. And you, whatever you do tomorrow, that you're going, I'm doing this to please the Lord. Ultimately, he's my boss. We serve the Lord, whatever your job, whomever your boss. Some of you have bosses that you go, they love the Lord, and it feels easier for me to feel like I am pleasing the Lord when I serve them because he wants to please the Lord. Some of you don't have that at all, right? Probably lots of you have bosses who don't love the Lord. And you may think, everything in me thinks it'd be so much easier if I had a, a nicer boss. You have the best boss ever. Because yes. <laughs> your, bo- your boss actually is a great reminder. You have a higher boss that you're going to work for. Your day, your work, whomever the boss, whatever the job, can matter for eternity, tomorrow, whatever you do. Because he is our boss. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. You didn't know your boss was in the Bible. I've had enough interaction with you to go, some of you have some super unreasonable bosses. Don't let that discourage you. Let it remind you, I serve a higher boss than that one. Because if you forget that, you know what you become? You become the unreasonable employee the grumbling, half-hearted employee because you're frustrated by your boss. And the scripture says, regardless of who your earthly boss is, you can allow the life of God in you to overflow through you. And sometimes, just sometimes, it's even more powerful the more ungodly your boss See, if you have a godly boss, everybody goes, oh, you got it easy. 
And, and so they might see the way you work and your attitude as, well, of course. But if you have an unreasonable boss and you still work with all of your heart and you still remain positive and you still do your job really well and you still treat him really well, even though he or she is unreasonable, then people go, what's up with you? And it really is. You know what's up with me? The spirit of God lives in me. And I want him to flow through me. So actually... I know this sounds crazy. It may be God's gift in your life that you have an unreasonable boss. You might want to go thank him or her. (laughs) I know, I'm crazy. No way! He is God's, or she, God's instrument in your life. And it's the setting, it's the opportunity for the life of God to flow. So, spirit-filled employees serve God's my boss, and therefore, (laughs) I serve with integrity. I serve with the integrity, not by way of eye service as men-pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Eye service men-pleasers, what's Paul simply saying? It's almost like Paul thinks that people work differently when the boss is around. Does that happen? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The reality is people work differently based on what they know authority over them knows and sees. And the text is simply saying, whatever you do, here's what I want you to do. I want you to work as if your boss sees and knows everything. <laughs> I, want you to, I want you to go to work and go, I know the door's closed, and I know he can't see what's on my computer screen, but he knows if I'm doing personal stuff on company time. He might be out of town, but he knows whether I'm fulfilling my role. I, I, I want to work as if he knows Everything sees everything. Why? (laughs) Because he does. Because who's my boss? Yeah. Integrity. Anytime you're tempted to cut a corner, anytime you're tempted to not really be completely honest and clear about what you did and what you didn't do, just remember your boss, whom you really serve, does know. He does see. You can't hide it. See, we think we can get away with stuff when we have earthly bosses because we can. (laughs) But spirit-filled people will go to work tomorrow going, the Lord's my boss, and he knows and he sees I'm going to work that way. And therefore, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to work joyfully. Why? Because it's for the Lord. And this is the day the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. That little verse has held so much significance for me in the past years. To remember, this is the day the Lord has made. He uniquely created today. Is there eternal purpose in today? Yes. Can I capture it? Yes. Can I miss it? Yes. See, you can go to work tomorrow and capture and be a part of God's eternal purpose in it. Or you can waste it. And part of capturing the eternal purpose of God tomorrow is by going to your job with your boss, whoever it is, and your job, whatever it is, and doing it with all of your heart, with a joyful heart, as unto the Lord, because that's who you understand 
you live to please. See, that makes actually work worthwhile. It's not just trinkets. It's not just a paycheck. It's not just get to the weekend. It's every day unto the Lord. So if we really think, Lord's my boss and he dwells in me and I want him to flow through me upon my coworkers, my boss, here's how I'm going to work. I want to give us 12 attributes of a God-honoring worker. Last week, we looked at the dirty dozen of how parents can provoke to anger. These are actually not things to avoid, but here is how I think if we would work this way, then the life of God would overflow. First, we've already said, we work hard. Laziness is a sin. Laziness does not reveal the heart of God. One of the things I hate, hate, hate about the reputation of Christian workers is that they're lazy. None of us who are Christ followers should be lazy. But quite frankly, there's no place for laziness. When we get the privilege of giving the minutes of our day for the sake of the gospel and the building, participating in the kingdom of God. Now that's true for me, and that's true for you. We work hard. When we work hard... God is honored. You treat people with kindness and grace. Sometimes we, we give ourselves this excuse. Hey, I know that wasn't very nice, but it, this, it's business. Ever thought that? Ever acted that way? I, I know, I wouldn't normally treat people this way, but this is business. One of the things uh, my oldest son, Clay, learned selling cars when he first moved back to Jacksonville. He was like, uh, people feel free to treat car salesmen the way they would not treat anybody else. And some of you are going, uh, yeah, I, I do that. You think, hey, I just kind of know they're crooked, so uh, <laughs> I just treat them like they're crooked, and I know they're trying to get me, so I just try and get them. Sometimes church people are the worst people. Seriously. And how they treat people. In the name of, well, it's not church, this is business. So that's a segmenting of our lives that is not God honoring. Respect to all people. Treat people the way you have been treated by the Lord. Kindness and grace. You tell the truth. Because the one who is the truth lives in us. Again, ever been tempted to twist the truth? (laughs) To compromise the truth? To not tell all the truth? It's business. Not God honoring. We tell the truth. Because He who is the truth dwells within us. And when we tell the truth, the truth flows through us. You do what's right. That sounds obvious. And you admit when you're wrong. And when I say are wrong, I really should say when you do wrong. How many of us do wrong? Yeah, thanks. The scripture says, uh, those of you who did not raise your hand, you're a liar. (laughs) No, that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says, he who says they have no sin, the truth is not in them, and they are a liar. Didn't say if you didn't raise your hand. 
The point is this. We want to do right. But all of us do wrong at times. And we think, oh, I can't admit to doing wrong. That would stain the name of Christ. (laughs) The gospel is, I have done wrong. And God in his grace forgives me. You may, I am not encouraging you to do wrong. I am encouraging you to admit that you do wrong because in the admitting of you doing wrong, it's actually the entree of the gospel. You may think, I don't know about that. You do wrong. We do not honor Christ when we do wrong and don't admit it. We admit, I did wrong. I didn't tell the truth. I didn't treat a person well. I did shade the numbers. We do what's right, and when we don't, we admit when we do wrong. Dependable. In my conversations with employers in this congregation, the hardest thing to get in this day and time is somebody who will actually show up when they said they'd show up and do what they said they would do and stay when they said they would stay. My wife has uh, started serving at the Belgium Sweet House on San Jose, a little restaurant. A couple mornings a week, she waits tables there and she loves the interaction with the community. She started maybe August and she has seen more than a dozen people hired. <laughs> and after like two days, just not show up. They go, oh, they just don't show up. And some of you in your work, you see this all the time. Drives you crazy. We're mad at people who don't give us the service we hired them to do. And they're like, we, we can't do it because our workers don't show up. That shouldn't be true. We are followers of Christ. God dwells in us. And is there anybody more dependable than the Lord? Now that might sound trite and crazy, but is there any more, anybody more dependable than the Lord? And so if we're going to honor Christ, we're dependable. We do what we, what we say. You avoid drama. Because <laughs> quite, <laughs> yes, it's like you have drama at your work. If we would, if we do number one, work hard, we would mostly avoid the drama. Drama happens because people don't work hard. So you want to avoid the drama? Just do your job and work hard at it. And you'll mostly avoid the drama. Uh, Number seven, you're a learner and teachable in order to be better. Learner and teachable in order to be better. One of the things that, for as long as I can remember, uh, hangs on my computer is the passage where Paul says to Timothy, work hard at developing the gift that's been given to you. Let your progress be made evident to all. See, it's, it's God glorifying to get better at what you do. You go, oh, man, my job doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter if I get better. Yes, doing your job with excellence is God glorifying because he is an excellent God. Seriously, excellence is from the Lord. Think about creation. He looked at what he did, and he went, wow, that's good, really, really good. Would it be for you to serve in a manner? People would look at your work and go, that's really, really good. You're learning. You're growing. Whatever you do, whatever you do, get better at it. I mean, I'm, 
I didn't say at the beginning, I'm assuming you understand everything legal we're talking about. If, if it's illegal, don't get better at it. But if it's legal, get better. Be teachable. See, that reflects humility. Uh, you go an extra mile with joy. Not just doing, you know, dependability. Dependability is the foundation, right? But then it's that, uh, but I'll go the extra mile with joy. You take initiative. Initiative. I'm going to see what needs to be done. Do it. Positive and a problem solver. (laughs) And let me just pause and acknowledge that sometimes as church people, (laughs) we are professional problem identifiers. I mean, really, we make it at our business because somehow, in reality, we have a sense of what's right, and that's good. We know what's right, and so we're often able to spot what's wrong. But wow, are we really committed to be problem identifiers as opposed to problem solvers? And actually go, no, I'm going to make a difference. Church, we know there's a lot wrong with our culture and our community. Yes? Yeah. But is it our role to simply point the finger and complain and separate? Or would it be that God would say, you are light, see the darkness and step into it? We're to be difference makers for good. At work, your, your co-workers, your boss ought to know when you see something not right, how something could be better, you're going to do your best to make it better. Be a problem solver. I wish I could read all of your minds right now. Seriously, because I... I if you're tracking with me, whatever you do, you could be such a difference maker in this culture. We don't make a difference coming here. Do you know that? We, we make zero difference coming here. We get equipped to go make a difference when we go to work and when we go home and we go to our streets. We're doing, uh, in terms of difference making, we're glorifying the Lord, that's good, but we're not making a difference until we walk out of here and actually have the life of God flow through us. So this stuff really matters. And I hope that whatever you do, you're thinking of, wow, I could work harder. I actually could be more positive. Why am I known as negative Nancy at work? No offense to Nancy, but great offense to negativity. Seriously. If you're that person, stop and go be light. Everybody knows it's dark. So be light. Make a difference. Admit your mistakes. That, that's, that's different than doing wrong. I'm not calling wrong a mistake. Wrong is wrong. I'm calling a mistake. Because sometimes you, you didn't do something immoral. You didn't cheat. You didn't steal. You didn't lie. You made a mistake. And that's embarrassing. And we tend to blame and try to escape the embarrassment. Proud of simply being honest. I made a mistake. And you honor your authority. 
whether they're reasonable or unreasonable. They are God's instrument in your life. I sent an original list out to a number of godly men in our congregation of this list. And I said, guys, would you look at this and make it better? And so this is, because I recognize I don't have a real job. I used to get offended, and then I thought, there's no reason to be offended. I just go with it. People used to say, oh, man, you're one day a week. I'm like, hey, easy, half day. It's a half day. <laughs> but, man, I work hard for that half day. Uh, <clears throat> so I wanted the, and by the way, we have some, two of our elders who have real jobs will be part of Q&A. And I know if you attend, you can't get Q&A unless you watch later, just to encourage you. So we're inviting some voices from real jobs to be a part of the Q&A. But let me paint a little picture for you. Well, our youngest, Shannon, uh, stayed in town for school. She went to UNF. But she was like, I'm not living at home because that would be high school 2.0. So uh, she went to UNF, but she lived on campus and then got an apartment off campus. So she was living over and not down in Fruit Cove where we were. And so she wanted to get a job at the town center. And uh, so she went into California Pizza Kitchen a couple years back and was looking for a job when she was in college. And she filled out the application and the guy said, thanks, uh, we're not hiring. Then he reviewed it and he said, well, actually, I made a commitment when I became a manager that if somebody worked for Chick-fil-A, whether I wanted to hire somebody or not, I'd always interview them. And she, had, at age 15, had started working at Chick-fil-A. And so uh, he interviewed her and then hired her, even though he wouldn't hire her. My point is this. Chick-fil-A has, has such a reputation that when people go, oh, you've worked there? You've got good training. How to serve it with pleasure. <laughs> right? That should be us. That should be Christians. It ought to be that when people find out you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it ought to be that when people find out God dwells in you, that they would go, oh, you people are the best workers. That's not true in terms of reputation. And for that, we ought to go, Lord, forgive us. It ought to be that people would find out, believers, just the best workers. It's almost like they are serving their Lord, which is the point. And here's how, what I love about how this passage finishes. It promises us this. Spirit-filled employees anticipate a greater reward than any earthly boss can give. You know, most of us think about earthly jobs and it comes down to, well, what are the benefits? <laughs> what am I going to get paid and how much time do I get off? And what this passage tells us is this, that I can go to work and live as a spirit-filled employee, the life of God pouring out of me onto others with the understanding of whether I make a lot or I make a little, whether my benefits are good or whether they stink, that I have a greater reward than any earthly boss could ever give more 
zeros than you could ever earn here because it says, with goodwill, render service, whatever your job, right, as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he'll receive back from the Lord, whether you are the employee or the employer. Do it and do it right and do it good and do it with all of your heart to the Lord. And when you do it to the Lord, guess what? He pays better than any company, any boss, any job. Every job, every job, not just my job, not just the missionary, Every believer, whatever they do, gets to do something that has, as part of it, eternal reward. Now, again, it's good to get, to get paid for our job because Publix doesn't take eternal reward. <laughs> so I'm not saying, hey, it doesn't matter what you get paid. It's God honoring to pay your bills. I'm simply saying there's more. There's something eternally more than how many zeros you get on your paycheck. And that is the opportunity to know that God will reward what is done for him. He rewards what's done for him. So whether you eat or drink, do it for the Lord. Now, don't, make, don't let me confuse you. Is heaven our reward for good work? No, 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 no. There's a dramatic difference between our reward for what we do for the Lord and how we're made right with the Lord. The scripture says, we're saved by grace through faith, not by our works. So as we serve the Lord and work for the Lord, uh, I want us to come back to what he has done for us. There is no eternal reward for those who are not first right with the Lord. And so these elements, and if you, you didn't pick one up as you were coming in, I invite you to raise your hand. Our guys will... Hand them out if you need one. Go ahead and take the top off. These elements are the reminder of the gospel. They remind us this unleavened wafer, the reminder that Jesus was without sin. And because he was without sin, he could become sin for us so that we could receive his righteousness. And this cup is the reminder of the blood of Christ that through his blood, do we need some right here? Yeah. Okay. The reminder that it's only through his death that our sin could be forgiven. So, friends, heaven, heaven, eternal life, forgiveness is not the reward we get for doing things for God. That is the gift given to those who admit their sin and believe in Jesus. Because it's a gift, it can only be received. It can't be earned or paid back. Eternal reward is for those who have been made right with God and then live a life that's been made right for him. So, two questions. Have you trusted in Jesus? Admitted your sin and believed in Jesus? Made right with God, received the free gift. Just because you come to church doesn't mean you're right with God. If you've never admitted your sin and believed in Jesus, I'd invite you to do it right now. Receive the free gift of God. If you have, 
Are you working, living for the Lord? As one who belongs to him. Examine your life. This is what we do when we take the Lord's Supper. We remember Christ and what he's done. And we examine, are we living for the one who bought us? If the Lord has prompted you in any way during this message, I encourage you to confess, invite his grace and mercy. And as we take, this is the reminder that he not only has died for us, but he has been raised again and he dwells within us. Let's take in gratitude to our Savior. Let's stand together. Let's declare our prayer to the Lord is that he is our great reward. someone praying for you if you would like that it's going to be our privilege and as we go to the rest of today would we be being filled with the spirit that we would make a difference wherever God has us today or tomorrow or the next day uh, we can be a light in the darkness um, he strengthened us to do it all right good to see you have a great rest of the day see you next time